Hello, and welcome to Cover to Credits, the bi-weekly podcast where we discuss books and their movie adaptations. I'm Ian George. And I'm Adina Hilton. In this episode, we'll be discussing A Man Called Otto. A Man Called Uva was written by Frederick Bachman and was published in Sweden in 2012. And the film adaptation, which came out in 2022, was directed by Mark Forster. And I'm pretty sure it's Uva or Ova. It's um, Ova. That's, I'm a, it's a Swedish pronunciation, obviously, for of a Swedish name that I'm not familiar with. It's spelled Ove, but that is not right. That's yes, not no. how you say it, uh, even though that's how <laughs> I said it in my head the whole time. I, uh, I listened to part of this on audiobook, and uh, he said Ova. Okay. By the way... The audiobook was narrated by J.K. Simmons. Ugh. And look, this is without saying anything against Tom Hanks's performance or anything like that, but this movie should have starred J.K. Simmons. I can just imagine him in this role. I so mean, perfectly. he just exudes that like he has resting bitch face, you know, that like don't yeah. don't fuck with me kind <laughs> of attitude. Like Tom Hanks has to kind of work for it, right? Uh, like, he he was literally just playing Mr. Rogers, like, a few years ago. Yes. So it's like, J.K. Simmons, that's just him all day <laughs> long. So. Yeah, I uh, first read this book um, a few years ago. I didn't um, know you read this book before. Yeah, when I was working from the library. Oh. <laughs> I, I don't think you mentioned that once. I've read that book. I'm pretty sure I've read it. I've mentioned it. Well, I know you read um, Bear Town, right? Yeah. Which is by the same author. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I knew that one. I didn't know you read this one. Yeah. Yeah, I liked it when I first read it when I was working for the library. And um, also, this movie was filmed in Pittsburgh, which is a cool connection to us since we live in Pittsburgh. Yeah, and a lot of it, the the cul-de-sac uh, where, you know, most of the action takes place is really close to where we first lived in Pittsburgh and still pretty close to where we live right now. It's like 10 minutes away. Yeah. Like a 10-minute drive. Although, funny enough, like, it's so distinctive looking, but I don't think we ever drove past it. No, it must be... Like, really off of a main drag. Like, maybe going down towards, like, the Ohio River Boulevard. Like, maybe yeah, kind of. Yeah, one of those side streets. Yeah, that's the only place I can think that it would be specifically. It's very distinctive. The houses are all row houses, all connected to each other. And it has this sort of drive. Um, and in the book and the movie, there's, like, a gate that kind of keeps it from um, people driving in it. Yeah. In the book, no one's allowed to drive in it at all. And in the movie, it's only residents who live there who are allowed to bring their car in that area. Yeah. Uh, it was funny because we knew this movie was coming out and, you know, Tom Hanks is going to star in it. We were like, you know, we knew the book was popular. We were like, should we do it? And then I don't know if it just kind of like got away from us or like we forgot about it or maybe it didn't seem like people were excited about it, but we kind of, we didn't do it when it came out. And I don't think we planned on doing it, except we went to Italy recently for our honeymoon. And on the international flight <laughs> going to and from Italy, I swear to God, half the people were watching A Man Called Otto at their seats. Yeah. Like on the on the displays. Like so many people were watching it. Like I probably visually watched like half of this movie <laughs> just looking around seats at like people what people were watching yeah plus it came out on netflix so we thought it was a really good opportunity yeah i was like it. i guess people are still like interested in this and are like you know watching it now especially because of streaming so i was like it's not too late for us to <laughs> jump on the bandwagon yes let's start out with a scene in an iconic pittsburgh location Ian, <laughs> the lawrenceville busy beaver the funny thing is if i watched this movie with no local context i'd be like 
oh, the Busy Beaver. That's like a store that they made up for yeah. this scene. No. No, it exists. <laughs> I don't think it's a chain. I don't know if it is or not. I've never is, seen another one. No, if it is, it's very small. But like the Busy Beaver does exist. It's in Lawrenceville. <laughs> we drive past it all the time. Yes. Yeah. So that was like a really fun little local nod, right? Yes. Uh, we're going to call him Otto just because I never quite know how to pronounce the Swedish name. Yeah. So we're just going to try to be consistent and call him Otto. Also, like almost all the characters have name changes yeah. in the film, like from book to film. And so we're just going to stick with the film names just for the sake of uh, simplicity. Trying to keep it straight in our minds, in your yeah, minds. It's not favoritism, we promise. <laughs> <laughs> so Otto is at the Busy Beaver and he is buying some rope. And he's yes. having a tough time. And I love that this scene is a great example of his character where he's cutting his own rope and then he wants to pay for it by the foot, not by the yard. And it's, it's this whole scene. And there's a similar one in the book where he's trying to buy like an iPad or a computer where it's like he's old, right? Yes. He doesn't understand. And also he's very stubborn and set in his ways. Yeah, it really establishes like and I love it being set in a store because you can imagine seeing this man at a store, like buying something and just being like shitty to the people that work there and kind of an asshole. So it like gives you that perspective of almost like judgment that you would have yeah. towards that person before we get to know them and dive into their background and everything. Yeah. And find out why they're like they are. Yeah. Uh, we get after the rope buying scene, uh, kind of a, a day in his life, right? Which is him waking up. At a very specific time, what I, I forget the time. It's like six o'clock in the morning. It's like five thirty, and his eyes just like wait, like he just wakes up without <laughs> need, without the need of the alarm, and he goes on this like little patrol around the neighborhood. He goes over to the recycling trash area for the cul-de-sac and like you know is picking recycling out of the trash. No and, one like, knows how to sort their recycling no, properly. He's like cursing everyone out. He goes and checks like all of the uh cars to see if they have the uh the tags on the <laughs> hanging off the mirrors, the correct like permit validation and permit. Uh so he's just kind of like prowling around the neighborhood. We are introduced to a, a few different characters right off the bat. The one it is referred to in the book as the blonde weed. Yes. <laughs> And she's kind of this prissy, fashionable, uh, uh, bitchy woman that lives on the street who has like this tiny dog. Yes. Very much a caricature. For sure. She's actually dating a man who lives on the street, Anders, who we don't see a lot of him. He kind of comes in later in the story. Uh, but the blonde weed is definitely more of a force in his life. And he has a, a particular problem with the dog, Prince who he refers to as the mutt yeah. um, because the dog keeps peeing on his lawn and he's upset about it. We also get to see uh, his work situation in the film, or should I say the end of his work situation, because he is kind of essentially being forced into retirement. Yeah, we kind of just get a recap of this in the book where we're told that, you know, just the other day he was let go from his job and told that he was just being retired early in the movie we actually get a scene of him kind of telling off his boss i'm guessing yeah this scene was like weird because <laughs> they're having like a retirement party and he's basically like fuck off yeah and then everyone's like ha, 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 let's have some cake <laughs> oh Otto. yeah let's cut your face <laughs> on the cake <laughs> yeah i i liked the the visual like dark humor gag of them like slicing into his face but i kind of just thought it could have been like played up better yeah. if that makes sense yeah i did like the 
added nod, though, to the Pittsburgh area. Because it's not just that the movie was filmed in Pittsburgh. It takes place in Pittsburgh. Yeah. And uh, his job is at, like, some t- some sort of steel factory, which is very Pittsburgh, obviously, with yeah. our history of steel. So I liked that. Mm-hmm. It's a nice local touch. Uh, so then we are quickly realizing that Otto has decided it's time to end it all. He is going to kill himself. Yep. This is a very integral part of the story. And so if you did not know this, this is like the central conceit <laughs> of the story is that he is is trying to kill himself a lot. Yes. So, I, I mean, be, I guess aware? just be aware yeah. of that if you read or watch this. And also, like, it's a very black humor situation. Play yes. for laughs. I think it's really interesting because the film begins with a warning. Like, hey, yeah. as a disclosure, there's, like, depictions of attempted suicide a lot in this film. And so, you know, be aware yeah. of that. And it kind of made me think about what an oddity this film is because the premise of it is this dark comedy, right? But it stars Tom Hanks, <laughs> who people just trust to be like, um, I don't want to say like America's dad kind of character. Feel good guy. Yeah, yeah. Like funny, heartwarming, uh, or in kind of like prominent... Uh, like, he, he's often a man of morals and scruples in his movies, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, and and I don't want that to, like, sound like I'm limiting him within his career. Because, I mean, really, he does play a variety of characters throughout his career. But, like, I feel like that's his, I like, how we envision him now. And so, I feel like <laughs> they cast him in this movie, obviously wanting to, like, you know, get people to go see it. But then they're like... Yeah, but it's actually really dark and people (laughs) might actually have no idea what it's about. So maybe we should warn them because this would be a movie like, you know, people on a plane like, oh, I'll watch a man called Otto. Like, that seems nice. It's got Tom Hanks in it. It's got Tom Hanks. He seems kind of grumpy in it, you know, it seems fun. And then within 15 minutes, he's trying to hang himself and it's like, oh. Oh, wait. (laughs) Yeah, he's getting all his affairs in order, like literally in the most order you can get them. Like he's canceling his electricity, his phone all this stuff he's written up a will his preferences for how his funeral is where he wants everything to go and then of course we have him getting the new setup ready in his house yeah there's so much in the beginning of the book about him installing the hook in the ceiling yeah and how meticulous he is and how specific he is about like the type of hook and the placement and all this stuff and Like, he lays down newspapers, (laughs) even though he's like, I know hanging yourself doesn't, like, create a lot of blood. But, you know, just uh, when people come into the house to, like, check it out and, like, take my body down. Like, I don't want them scuffing the floor up. (laughs) The level of how meticulous he is, like, even in the morning, like, he drinks his coffee and then washes his mug. Yeah. Right? Like, he he collects all the uh, documentation for his sob, his car, being up to date and like has them in sight. Like I want them to know the car is like yeah. in good condition. Here's instructions on the summer tires for the car. Yes. <laughs> I think the movie takes it, le- or I'm sorry, I-, I think the book goes way farther with the absurdity yes. of how meticulous and kind of quirky Otto is as a character. And I really appreciate that. I do too. He's almost ready to do the deed when... He is rudely interrupted (laughs) from his planned death by uh, some new neighbors moving in and some incompetent idiot backing up a U-Haul tractor 
into his mailbox. Yes. So he <laughs> he storms outside, starts <laughs> yelling at everyone. He realizes that it's a family that's moving in across the street. Uh, they're an immigrant family. In the film, they're Mexican. In the movie, they are... Iranian. Iranian, thank you. Yeah, in the movie, um, the, the couple's names are uh, Marisol and Tommy. And like you said, they're Mexican. And then in the book, their names are uh, Parvana and Patrick. And Parvana is actually from Iran. Patrick is from Sweden. That's right. Patrick's, yes, yeah, Swedish. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so he goes out and he's like trying to help the husband maneuver the trailer and get it backed up. But he is incompetent, an incompetent <laughs> idiot. So Otto insists on like taking over. And he I get- love how he describes it in the book. He's like, don't you understand that you just have to like do like you're going to back up normally, but do everything in reverse yeah. when you have the trailer? <laughs> Anyone knows that. Everyone knows that. I love the way the film shoots it to when he gets in the car and he turns around to start backing up. And it's the first time you as the audience sees it too, but there's two children in the backseat. Yes. And so him just being face to face with them. I love like the the (laughs) visual setup of that. So of course, Otto being an old school man who knows how to do everything that is like generally blue collar or like DIY. Yeah. uh, Is able to perfectly back up the trailer outside of the house uh, and of course, the family is like super grateful to him. And mm-hmm. he's like, ah, he's just like pissed <laughs> off and grumpy. And he goes back inside. Uh, they come over later and Marisol brings some food for him to eat as a thank you. And they're clearly trying to get to know him and to form a, a relationship. But he's just not really interested. Marisol as a character is like really great because she's very forceful. Yes. In her like assertions to be friends with him. Like, he keeps trying to close the door on her, and she just literally sticks her foot <laughs> in front of the door and is like, you're not very friendly, are you? It's <laughs> just, like, aggressively nice. Yeah. I also like that, you know, in the book and the movie, in this scene where Patrick is, like, messing up the trailer, he comes over and starts yelling at Marisol, and she's like, I'm not the one that's doing the driving. Yeah. And then they both, like, kind of look at Patrick, and they both start yelling at him. <laughs> yeah. And I think, like, Otto kind of appreciates her. Yeah. Because, like, they're kind of on the same side against Patrick. Or, I'm sorry, against Tommy. Yeah, they both, like, are united in their annoyance in him, (laughs) which is very funny. Yeah. So uh, Otto uh, takes the food and, like, in the film sits down and eats it and is like, oh, this is actually, like, pretty good. Yeah, I love in the movie it's sort of like a gag that he keeps eating Marisol's food or cookies and then being like, well, time to kill myself. Time to kill myself. <laughs> like, oh, that's he's like, mm, uh, mm. okay. And then he just like, yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> so he goes to actually do the deed. He goes as far as to actually like kick the chair out. And of course, uh, it doesn't work because the rope breaks. Yes. Or the hook in the film breaks. Which makes sense in the book because he so meticulously planned that hook, right? Yes. The hook would not break. He measured it. He drilled it. He figured it out so perfectly, Well, I don't right? necessarily think it's like the 
placement of the hook, but more of like how the hook was made. Because mm-hmm. it's like the hook breaks partway through, right? Well, it comes out of the ceiling. Does it? Yeah. Oh, I thought the hook just snapped in two. No, it comes out of the ceiling oh. in the movie. Okay, well then I do strongly disagree with that because I agree that like yeah. he's a man who knows how, how to, to place, place a hook. Yeah, like he probably found like the spot in the ceiling yeah. with the beams and whatever you call it. What's that called? The, uh, the joist. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? No. Yeah, no. No. <laughs> no, you're right. It's not, uh, email us at coveredcredits.com. What's that called? Like the beams in the wall? I don't know. I'm not going to think of it, Adina. We should move on. We don't have them in our house now because our house is made out of uh, plaster instead of drywall. Like we don't have the... Uh... Adina, let's move on. <laughs> I'm just saying... I think it makes sense that the rope breaks no, in yes. the book because he so meticulously planned out the hook and the placement and everything, but then he just bought this rope, which ultimately failed him. Yeah. I will say, though, that, like, <laughs> the force of your body, the, the force yeah. it would take to break the rope, even if the rope is, like, frayed, that would fuck you up. Yeah. And instead, he just kind of falls and is like, well... <laughs> And I'm like, your neck would at least be, like, really bruised or I know. raw or something. You would be, like, really hurt after that. I do find it really funny in the movie. When he <laughs> falls down onto the newspapers and he's just sitting there. And then he sees, like, oh, there's a coupon. <laughs> he starts, like, pulling off, like, cutting the coupon that out. That is one of the best dark gags in the whole film. Yeah, it I, works I so really well. I really loved that. I thought that was so funny. We get a bunch of like flashbacks though throughout the film and in the book pretty regularly throughout the story about Otto's childhood and then his previous life because now he's, you know, an older guy obviously wanting to end his life. So we find out more about his past through these flashbacks. Yeah, we find out his mother died when he was relatively young, and so it was just him and his dad. And his dad was very stoic and kind of withdrawn like he was. Yeah. He worked at a rail yard, just kind of like doing a lot of manual labor and that sort of thing. And Otto clearly had, like, a lot of respect for him growing up. Like, he was a man of, like, few words, but a lot of, like, scruples and a lot of morals. Yeah, and this is all in the book, the movie doesn't really get into Otto's childhood at all. No. It, it kind of starts with him meeting his wife and that's sort of it. But the book really does get into what it was like him, for him growing up, you know, his relationship with his parents. And like you said about his dad, he is a man of principles and Otto really admires him and wants to become like him. And they really bond over working on um, this car, this Saab, which is like a Swedish car brand. And so this becomes very important to Otto's character throughout the book and, and the story is knowing how to fix things, knowing how to work on things, be useful, help people, and also this brand loyalty to this car company. <laughs> it's all about brand loyalty, Adina. <laughs> it's funny because, so in the book, it's a Saab. Yeah. Which... My coworker drove a Saab for a long time and loved it. Uh, and in the film, it's a Chevy. Yeah, it just does not work for me, Ian. No, it doesn't. It's so funny. I don't know what it is. Probably because in my mind, this probably sounds very insulting and I don't mean it to be. But I'm like, oh, it's Swedish. It's like a Swedish car company. It's like charming. Right? Yes. I'm like, oh, it's probably not an evil corporation like all of the ones in America. But I'm sure it is, right? Yeah, because I mean, like, even in America, like the classic car companies like Ford... Henry Ford is a piece of shit, yeah, right? So, yeah. like, we know how, like, 
un uh unethical unethical or like there's no sense of um we're not looking at it through rose tinted glasses but with like a a swedish car company or wherever Saab is located out of it's like oh that sounds like great and like i get why yeah. this character is loyal to them right but yeah yeah the whole chevy thing and we'll definitely touch again on it later hated it does not <laughs> does not work does not work so, going back to the main story here, obviously Otto does not kill himself, right? It doesn't work. Yeah. He has um, some other neighbors that are trying to insert themselves into his life. Not the new couple and family that just moved in, but actually an older couple who Otto and his wife have been friends with for many years since they first moved to the neighborhood. Anita and her husband, Ruben, and in the book he's known as Rune. Yeah, Ruben is suffering from, what is he suffering from specifically? Is it Alzheimer's. Part, Alzheimer's. Uh, so he's bound to a wheelchair. He's kind of like nonverbal at this point. And Anita is taking care of him. So it's kind of a sad situation. But unfortunately, there's bad blood between Otto and Ruben. Mm-hmm. And despite his current circumstances, Otto is a man of principle. <laughs> and once he begins a grudge, he holds it no matter what. Yeah, he makes a lot of uh, references to himself and then also to other characters of the coup d'etat, which was um, he and Ruben uh, founded the Residence Association, kind of like an HOA yeah. um, for, the, for the neighborhood. And Otto was the chairman. And then at one point... Uh, Ruben forced him out and then became the chairman himself. And we find out later that it was a lot of little things that led up to this moment that kind of made them enemies, but they're very alike in a lot of ways. Yeah. They're two men that are very, very similar, but they're also different enough that their personalities don't let them kind of mend those differences between them, despite how similar they are. Yeah, it's almost like their similarities are almost like the problem. Yes, yeah. Like, there's a whole ongoing, there's a car drama. Yeah. In the book, it's, uh, he's a sob man, Otto is, and Ruben. Volvo? I, Volvo, yeah. And so, like, just a whole thing with, like, the cars. And in the uh, movie, it's Chevy versus Ford. Yeah. And right now what's going on, you know, with Ruben having Alzheimer's and Anita taking care of him, like she's asking Otto for help. She's like, I need help with the radiators. They're not working. Can you come help me? And Otto's just very like, I don't want anything to do with this. I don't want to help you. He eventually does. But there's also this angle to it where we're seeing hints of some problems that might be coming up later on. Anita mentions to him in the book that the council might be trying to take Ruben away because of his condition to to be in a home. In the movie, it's more like this company wants to buy their house to potentially build some condos, which, Ian, how would they build a condo when they're all row houses? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know a lot about this whole situation. Yeah. It's like, I mean, the it, in the book, it's like they're in Sweden and I don't know like what, the, how the government works. Yeah. Or what the laws are or whatever. In the movie, they mention that their son who lives in Japan, Japan has power of attorney. Like she gave him power of attorney and now he's like using that against them. And, but then I also don't know how this like real estate company Ties into it. It's involved. Yeah, it's very vague. Yeah, yeah, it is vague, but basically they're in kind of a tricky situation. And Otto just really doesn't want to 
want to get involved. He does eventually go to help with the radiators. And um, in the movie, he also gets a garden hose back that he's been needing. I liked that touch. I wasn't making that connection at first, but he's like, as long as you give me the hose back. (laughs) So he has a moment where he tells Ruben that he's planning on leaving for good. And Ruben, in a moment of uh, almost clarity, like holds on to the hose and won't let it go because he knows what Otto's planning. Yeah. And it's kind of a tense moment, but I think it's done pretty well. And Otto takes that hose. He goes into his garage, duct tapes it to the exhaust of his car and feeds it into the interior and is going to asphyxiate himself. Yeah. Pretty dark. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty dark. Once again. Yeah. He eats a cookie first in the movie. Yeah. He's sitting in the car and he eats a cookie that uh, "Mm." Marisol gave him. And he's like, "Mm, this is pretty good. Starts the car. Time to die. (laughs) (laughs) We get flashbacks in the film. And I mean, we get flashbacks throughout the book, kind of like the chapters, especially at the beginning, kind of alternate between the present and flashback. Uh, The movie saves the flashbacks for these moments where he's attempting suicide, like whether he's hanging himself or in this situation where he's sitting in his car. I think the idea here is really good. In these moments, he's kind of like brought back to memories of like him meeting his wife, him growing up, like all that stuff. I just hate the way they're edited. Yeah. Because it keeps cutting back to Otto, to Tom Hanks, sitting in his car, like, semi-reliving the memory and, like, saying out loud, like, certain lines and, like... (sighs) And I just want to go back in the flashback, momentarily forget what's going on in the present, and then be, like... Jolted back. Jolted back when, like, someone knocks at the garage door, right? Yeah. Like, I want to just, like, be immersed in that flashback until the moment you're pulled out of it. Mm -hmm. I think that would have been so much more interesting and effective. But the movie keeps jumping back and forth. Yeah. And I don't know why, and it's really frustrating. Maybe they just wanted Tom Hanks to be more involved in these scenes. I don't know. It is interesting to note that um, Tom Hanks' son... Yes. Plays a young Otto in this movie. What's his name? Truman Hanks? Truman Hanks. Yes. Thank you. Uh, Yeah. Truman Hanks plays his son or his, I'm sorry, his younger version. (laughs) Um, I don't know if he's a very good actor. No. (laughs) Also, he doesn't really look that much like him. No, that's the funny thing. But he also kind of doesn't. They could have just hired an actor who probably looks more like a young Tom Hanks than his son even I know. Do you think Tom Hanks is like, okay, let's make this movie, but my son has to be in it. I mean, probably. I mean, he also produced this movie, I think. Yeah. Or his wife did, so. I also heard that his wife, like, contributed, like, vocals to one of the songs. Ooh. Yeah, so I, it's a little sketchy. I don't yeah. know. It's a little weird. He's bringing the whole family in. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Uh, Truman Hanks is just kind of dopey, a little plain. Yeah. And also he just feels like so different than Tom Hanks's character does. And I mean, I know that's part of the point that he like almost devolves into the man you see currently who's like bitter and grumpy and whatever. But he's supposed to always be kind of grumpy. At least in the book he is. He's supposed to be kind of quiet and stoic. And I think that works better than how he feels in the film. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I I, I just did not love the performance from him. Yeah, I was mixed on it too. 
I also felt like it just felt very, like, almost too idealized and romanticized, these flashbacks. We get him meeting his wife, Sonia, for the first time, running into her on a train because he's working for the train in the book. Um, But in in the movie, he sees her on the train tracks. He sees her drop a book and he goes after her. Um, there's this whole kind of thing where she kind of thinks he's signing up for military service, but in actuality, he's been disqualified because of heart condition that he has. So he eventually has to confess this truth to her at some point. But, um, he kind of sits with her on the train. They start talking. They have this instant connection. And I love how in the book he says she was all the color in his life. Yeah. You know. And I I love the I love their dynamic. It's very sweet, especially in the book because yeah. it, it's different in the film. But like in the book, he's just a very quiet man, but he listens. Like he very intently he listens. Yeah, and he cares. And she's clearly like a very energetic, just glowing type of person who loves to talk about the books that she's reading, the things that she cares about. And like, on one hand, yes, that dynamic is, like, one-sided towards, like, her. But, like, it also feels equal. Like, he feels like... She's not, like, abusing no. his, like, patience, right? Mm-hmm. Like, he's, he genuinely wants to sit there and listen to her. Yeah, and I like how in the book he talks about, like, I always knew that people thought we were an odd pair, yeah. right? I always knew people thought, like, why would you choose him? And, like, he didn't even understand it himself. But I think it's really interesting because in the book we actually find out more about her dad. Yes. And her dad is very similar to Otto, right? He's this very good, very kind and loving man, but very stoic, very quiet, very withdrawn, very to himself. And she loves her father very fiercely, and they have this very strong bond. So I think it makes a lot of sense that she would find someone like Otto yeah, to, to be very like reassuring and, like, someone that she would seek out and want to have in her life. Absolutely. Uh, a lot, we get, we're just kind of going to go over their whole <laughs> backstory <laughs> romance. Yeah. Even though the movie kind of portions out this information, and the book does too. Uh, so, they start dating, they're together. And what's interesting is, and I think this is true, I forget which versions this is true in. She becomes pregnant, and then they decide to get married. That's in the book. Okay, yeah, in the book. I think in the the film, they just decide to get married. And then they're on a trip. Yes. In the book, they're going to Spain. (laughs) In the movie, they're going to Canada. Niagara Falls. Yeah, nothing against Canada or Niagara (laughs) Falls, but very different. (laughs) And they're on a bus, and they get in a terrible bus crash. Yeah. And unfortunately, Sonia, who was pregnant in both versions at this time, loses the baby and also becomes wheelchair-bound. Yeah. And it's very, very tragic and very sad. And we see both Sonia and Otto kind of having to reevaluate what their life is going to be like. I really love in the book and movie, I think it's the same line where she talks about like, we can either, you know, spend our life like living or dying and I want to live, right? Like, I don't want to like focus on everything we've lost. Like, I want to focus on what we have now. And it's very much like uh, an example of her character and also Otto's character, I think, too, that they try to make the best out of their life despite everything that they've lost and everything they can't have. Um, But what I think is really interesting, too, is that 
Otto has this kind of whole thing, and it's more talked about in the book where he's really advocating for Sonia, and in this time before, I think they mentioned this in the movie, in this time before laws about accessibility, yeah. right? Like, he's trying to make sure that, like, they don't take her away to a home. He's trying to make sure their house is wheelchair accessible. He wants her to be able to still teach, which is, like, her passion. And so he's fighting with all these school boards about installing a ramp for her wheelchair. Yeah. I, I love this portion. And it kind of, not that I think, like, Otto's eccentric nature needs like a backstory to justify but i was thinking about like him in the film shoveling his sidewalk like so meticulously right yeah and you just think like that's an extension of his personality but then you think like he probably had to do that all the time so that he could get sonia to the car or outside right like he probably had to always be meticulously making sure everything was like clear for her wheelchair yeah and just like everything had to be like kind of almost perfectly set up and like he was very conscious of that and so i kind of like that almost like filling in a little bit of his character and also the fact that and the book gets more into this that he was very angry about what happened like with the bus and just you know a whole host of things that she had to deal with and that he was angry for on her behalf yeah and that this is kind of partly what made him a little bit more bitter a little bit more angry towards other people right and uh you know, he still had Sonia, though, so I think there was still that, like, color to his life. But unfortunately, you know, they were together for a number of years, but unfortunately, Sonia uh, develops cancer mm-hmm. and passes away. Yeah, and she passes away about six months before the events of this book and movie. So it's a very recent loss for him. And we have a few scenes where he goes to her grave and he's talking to her, right? And he's very clear about wanting to join her. And we know that's why he's trying to kill himself, right? He's like, I lost Sonia. I've been let go from my job. I have no other reason to keep living, you know? Yeah. And it's very sad. Um, but you understand. Yes, yeah. Uh little little side note grievance. <laughs> the uh the soundtrack Ugh, for Ian. this movie, it blows. It's so bad. It sucks. It's it really so... takes you out of uh, the moments. It really ruins every moment. There's a scene <laughs> when I forget if the song comes on the radio. There's a song that comes on and he starts to listen to it and remember a flashback. So the implication to me is almost that the song is like one that he has fond memories of. But it's like a modern day, just like soft rock ballad that is very like the most generic sounding song you could think of. Very generic. And then on top of that, in the bus accident scene, when he's trying to find his wife they're playing, like, some kind of Kate Bush song. Yeah. And I'm like, I love Kate Bush, but this is not the moment. No. <laughs> it just takes you out. And, like, this kind of leans into one of the problems I have in the film, which is just, like, it really leans into the sentimental, like, sweet vibes, right? Yeah. Very, like, over the top. Yeah. Like, you know, all the flashbacks. Like, his wife is so idyllic and perfect. And, like, everything was great until the bus crash. And, like, <laughs> you know, all the memories are sweet and rose-colored. And, I mean, even moments, like, in the present that are, like, sweet. Like, it's just so it's sincere. It's going for it too hard. It is. It really is. And <laughs> and the book does it points as well like not that the book isn't sentimental or sweet but the film is just like beating you over the head with it (laughs) with like a baton yeah 
It's just like, <laughs> you should be crying right now. <laughs> Where's that tear? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree. And and the soundtrack really actually made it worse for me, made me not want to cry. Yeah. Yeah, you're like, oh, God, okay, and now you're rolling your eyes. It's not good. Um, He's trying to kill himself in the car uh, with the exhaust, and then who should knock on the garage door but Marisol, and she won't stop knocking, so he has to open it up, and she's like, uh, my husband just fell off a ladder. You, uh, the ambulance just took him to the hospital, but I can't drive, and we have to go to the hospital, so you have to give me a ride. Yeah, <laughs> and he's like, he doesn't want anything to do with it, but also he can't, like, refuse her because she's just so strong-willed, so he, like, yes. agrees to it. <laughs> he drives them in the car he just tried to kill himself in. The film does not address this at all. No. The book does, but I still don't buy it. He's like, yeah, we rolled down the windows so they wouldn't smell anything. I'm like, you were feeding exhaust into your car for the past, like, what, 10 minutes? I don't know how long it was, but I'm like, that car would fucking reek. Yeah, and like, you're putting kids in there? And you're putting children in it. Like, yeah. I don't. It's the same thing with, like, the noose moment. I'm like, there would be, like more cause and effect from this than like what you're implying. <laughs> oh, I don't know if we've mentioned that uh, Marisol is pregnant at this time. Yes. And Marisol's pregnant too. <laughs> like inhaling those fumes. Yeah. You know? I love in the book, he gives everyone all these like nicknames that are very funny. You yeah. know, we have the blonde weed, right? Yes. Um, And then he refers to Marisol as uh, the pregnant Pregnant one or the pregnant woman. Yes. The pregnant woman and then her husband as the lanky one. Yeah, no, I love all of his, like, different, like, ways of, like, identifying and remembering people. <laughs> I just love in the book all of Otto's, like, co- all of his commentary in his head. Because yeah. it's very absurd and funny. Like, a lot of times, like, at one point... uh <laughs> He was talking about wanting to get security cameras for the neighborhood and, like, fighting for that. But, like, everyone was like, ah, the systems are too expensive, like, blah, blah, blah. So they, like, vote him down and he's pissed about it. And then later, years later, they're like, hey, there's actually these new, like, internet-connected cameras that are cheaper and they back up straight to the internet. And so, like, that's cheaper and it's easier to manage. And then he's the only one who votes against it. (laughs) Because he doesn't trust the internet. Yeah, and also because he's mad that they voted it down yeah. originally. So now he's like, well, it's, I'm not going to support it anymore. At one point, he's uh, criticizing people who jog. Because he's like, jogging is just wrong. He's like, either you're walking too fast or you're running too slow. Like, either way, you're doing it wrong. Uh, and he also talks about being skeptical of tall people. He thinks they're dumb because the blood can't get to their brain. <laughs> Like, there's just so many moments where he has these, like, f- like momentary thoughts about people that are so funny. Very, very funny. Uh, they go to the hospital. He's waiting in the waiting area with uh, Marisol's two children. And it's very cute because they want him to read to them. And so we have this cute scene of him reading to them. And then who interrupts but an annoying clown? Beppo the fucking clown. <laughs> okay, look. The clown in the movie... No. It ain't it. I wouldn't let him near he children. He's so annoying. He's so creepy. He's creepy and annoying. I'm like, do they let clowns in hospitals? Like, I feel like clowns are done. Like, I, oh, I clowns know. are out, like, right? Especially with children, like, which I know they're meant for children, but, like, a lot of children are terrified by clowns, and the yeah. last thing you do is, like, some poor child 
who's like fighting for his life in a hospital and then Beppo the clown comes in and he's like, oh my God. And he can't, literally can't escape the bed. <laughs> he's in a full body cast. Yeah, <laughs> it's not good. Yeah, Beppo the clown comes in and is like, oh, do you want to see a trick? Like, lend me a quarter. The movie actually gives a whole context to this quarter. Yeah. Which uh, being like a special lucky quarter. Yeah. That he's managed not to lose for what? Like, 40 years. I don't buy it. I don't buy it either. Look, I have an Aldi quarter in my car, okay? (laughs) Whenever I go to Aldi and I need, because you need to put the quarter in the grocery cart. Yeah. I cannot keep an Aldi quarter in my car for like two weeks, right? (laughs) Like either I lose it or someone uh, takes it. Yeah, someone takes it or something, right? (laughs) Yeah. There's no way you uh, could hold on to a quarter that long. No. In In the book, it's just more that he is suspicious of the clown and knows that he's like tricked him with his money. He ends up uh, kind of getting into this physical confrontation with the clown, (laughs) which honestly is just kind of like a very short gag. Yeah. For how dramatic it is. Like it really doesn't come back and it doesn't go on very long. It could have been way more. Like I kind of wanted it to be more over the top in the film. Yeah. Like I don't know. Like maybe him punching the clown would have been too... uh, visceral or like maybe that would have but I don't know like when you see it it just doesn't quite amount to the setup I feel I think it's one of those things like it's really easy for the book to kind of throw it in as a gag yeah and it's funny but it's very brief and it doesn't really amount to anything and I'm like did the movie really need to include it yeah I or get could it they, could they have done something a little different I remember the trailer featuring an allusion to this scene which I get it like old man fights clown the movie yeah. like that that sells tickets right that gets asses in seats at the theater <laughs> Tom Hanks fighting a clown is a grumpy old man uh, but I think in the actual context of the film, it doesn't quite. It doesn't really. It doesn't to deliver. Much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's talk about the train scene, though. And notably, we want to say for the record that this train scene was not filmed in Pittsburgh. No, because we do not have a great subway system. We have like a very limited underground that is just like three locations. It, it, yeah, it's called the T. Who uses it, Adina? It goes from the North Shore <laughs> to downtown and from downtown to Mount Washington. And that's it. That's it's, it. It's so limited and it's so stupid. And if only we had better public transportation here in Pittsburgh. But I'll stop now. This was filmed <laughs> in Toledo, actually, on an actual like kind of elevated train line. And so he's standing here at the station and he's literally planning to just throw himself in front of a train. Yeah. This was another one of the few visual gags that really worked in the film. Oh, I love it. And I love the context is there in the book, too. But like he's standing there and like just kind of past him is another man standing. And like the man just you see him falls. start to like kind of tip <laughs> and totter. And then he falls onto the tracks. So this poor man, like, I don't know, like passes out for some reason into the train tracks I don't like this part of the film. No. Where it's just a bunch of millennials, like, on their phones filming it. Yeah. I hated this. I hated this, too. I don't think this is how people would react. No. I think this is a very cynical view of, like, social media culture. Being like, oh, everybody would just film it. They wouldn't actually help. Like, I think people would help. Which, if the movie was more darkly comedic or more absurdist, I think this scene could have worked. But, like, the movie in so many ways is very sincere. Yeah. And so this feels very cynical by comparison, right? I agree. So Otto is like, oh, this takes a real man to <laughs> jump into the train tracks. And he jumps down and he lifts this guy up and he's like, help me, because nobody's helping him. They're all filming for Instagram. And then he, like, 
helps get the guy out. And there's a moment where he stands on the train tracks and he's like, maybe I'll just let this train hit me now. Mm-hmm. Even though the context would be very weird for bystanders. Like he saved him only to like just stand just- there and like hit him. <laughs> but a man, another man manages to like call him over and like get him to get off the tracks before the train comes. And so a lot of people see this and he kind of just like leaves, right? Yeah. I think now is the perfect time, Adina, because we've established three suicide attempts, right? Yeah. I want to talk about the tone of this film because I think the story is there. I think for the most part, a lot of the performances are there. There are funny gags, but ultimately, I think the filmmaking of this movie really lets down the story. Yeah. I think there could have been so much more done to lean in to how darkly comedic a lot of this story is. A lot more like visual gags. Yes, yeah. Because I mean, like on paper, this story is like a perfect dark comedy. It's about a man who just wants to kill himself (laughs) in various ways. But life won't let him. Yeah, and he keeps failing because like people keep knocking at his door and showing up, right? And I think there's so many ways that visually or just through editing or score or whatever, they could have leaned into like kind of how like comedy dark comedies. I don't want to say this like as a broad general statement. I think they should make the audience kind of uncomfortable in a way to the point where you're like, Ooh, should I laugh at this? Like I kind of want to, but I almost shouldn't. Right. (laughs) Like good dark comedies do that. I think, or frame the situation or the scenes in a very, I don't know how to put it. Like, I think there needed to be a stronger sense of style to yeah, this more, film. Yeah, more bold choices, perhaps. Yeah. It felt like this movie really wanted to be heartwarming. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But it was working with a script that was, like, kind of heartwarming, but mostly a little bit of, like, that black humor. Yeah. Right? And so it's like, well, we'll keep those elements but we're going to really lean into, like, the heartwarming part. And it gets to a point where, like, by, like, later on, he's going to shoot himself in the head. And this is, like, his fourth attempt at suicide. And the movie's taking it very seriously. Yeah. But you're also like, this is crazy. <laughs> like, same with, like, the train scene, right? Like, it's kind of funny. But then it's this moment of him, like, it, it, it takes it very dramatically, right? And uh, I just kept watching it and being like, they shouldn't be cutting so much here. Or I don't like the score. Like the score yeah. in the moments when he's setting up his suicide, it's very bouncy and kind of mischievous and almost like, hey, this is like kind of supposed to be a little funny. Like it's yeah. a little silly. Whereas I wish it was, there was no score. Yeah. And it was just kind of un- uncomfortable, but in a funny way. Like the whole situation of him like taking all these steps leading up to his suicide of like canceling his electric and getting in arguments with people on the phone over (laughs) it or like him making sure all the dishes are done in the sink. Like these are like, so they're so absurd and have the potential for so much humor in an uncomfortable way that it just feels like the movie fails the concept in a lot of ways. Yeah. And I wonder how much of that is because I don't know whether they decided the tone of the film first Or if they got Tom Hanks to be in it first. Mm. But it's like, this is a Tom Hanks vehicle. And we can't be, like, too experimental. We can't be too... Weird. Weird or darkly comedic. Like, we want it to be more heartwarming and, like, more sincere. 
I don't know like which came first, like chicken or the egg or whatever, but well, and the choice of director as well, you know, yeah. like we um, actually did another episode on something he directed, The Kite Runner. Yes, which. I also felt like was going for a kind of cheesy heartwarming. Yeah. And it just kind of like didn't quite work for me. Yeah. And this director also did Quantum of Solace and World War Z, like two action films. Um, Yeah. This director just does not have a really strong sense of style. Like maybe he's flexible and can kind of like adapt to different genres. But I think you need someone with a very clear voice And a very specific idea. A strong sense of humor. Yeah. Yeah. And I just felt like this movie, throughout the movie, I just, like, even the scene when they were cutting into the cake with his face on it, like. Could have been better. Yeah, like, (laughs) that's such a funny visual gag. And I just don't think the movie filmed it or framed it correctly. Yeah. For maximum humor. (laughs) Same with, like, the noose in his, like, living room. Like, you could just film that in a way that would be funny. In a weird, dark way. In the background of a lot of shots. Yes. You know? Yeah. Yeah. But it just doesn't take advantage of the visual comedy or, like, the pacing and editing to really take advantage. Even the color grading. The color grading is so, like, just washed out and gray. But it's also super sincere and heartwarming. I don't know. It's just, like, everything on a technical level of this film just didn't feel in sync with the story. Yeah, I I completely agree with you. And it's interesting to to notice how the book does it and how the book can get away with things in a way that a movie can't. Yeah. Right? I think the book is much a much more able to kind of flex it's like getting into the sentimental, yeah. but then getting into the absurd. And the, yeah. and the book just feels like a very like kind of funny almost like a little bit of a twisted reality, right? Yeah. It's like an, a little bit of an altered version of reality. Like, there's something about it that doesn't seem quite, like, realistic fiction, right? Um, and I think that tone works in the book. But let's talk about something much better. <laughs> let's talk about the cat, Ian. We're getting into the, the meat of the story, which is the cat. <laughs> the cat... Our favorite character, the most important person in this story, it's the cat annoyance. <laughs> yes. Uh, Otto discovers a cat-shaped hole in a snow pile. Well, he's been seeing the cat around the neighborhood. Yes, yeah. It's been the stray cat, and he's gotten into several confrontations with the blonde weed and mutt over this cat. Uh, and poor cat has been hurt by mutt, and even by the blonde weed, she's thrown rocks at this cat. Awful. I, I love the circumstance of, like, Otto doesn't like the cat, but he also feels inclined to, like, stand up for it. Yeah, because he hates the blonde it, Yes, <laughs> he hates her more than the cat, and that kind of, like, creating, like, an alliance between them. Yeah. So, I guess this cat, I, I wasn't clear if, like, the cat just got too cold outside, <laughs> or if something, do you know if what I mean? he was injured, yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure, like, if there's a context to it I didn't pick up on. Because a part of me, I'm like, did Otto accidentally, like, throw snow on it and, like, bury it or something? Uh, The cat was left out in the snow and is, like, half frozen. Yes. Marisol notices this. And then Jimmy, another neighbor, is there, too. And so the two of them come into Otto's house. And they're like, Otto, you have to take care of this cat. Jimmy is trying to warm the cat up on his body. We get, like, a lot of... (laughs) Jimmy uses the power of being overweight, as the book wants us to know. Here's the thing that I don't like about the book, is that Otto is constantly talking about how fat Jimmy is. Yeah. Like, a lot. 
And it's to the point where I'm like, okay, now I'm suspicious of the author. Yes. Like, why would you talk about it this much? It's weird. And it's funny because there are other characters that like Otto is maybe a little like insensitive towards. But, you know, it's not from a position of being of like being malicious or like it's maybe more just like ignorance. Yeah. And it's funny because when he first talks about Jimmy, he's like, Jimmy's overweight. Not that Otto cares about that. A man can be any shape that he decides. And then for the rest of the book, he goes on to be like, Jimmy's, Jimmy's fat folds. Big, big fat folds. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I'm like, Jesus. Jimmy's like jiggling belly. Just <laughs> yeah. he just every moment just describes Jimmy's physical. Yeah. And it's one of those things where it's like he looked over Jimmy's fat shoulder. And it's like, why? Yeah. Just say you looked over his shoulder. Like you what? don't have to. Every chance he got. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally agree <laughs> about being suspicious of the author. We have this whole backstory that we get for Jimmy in the book. At the end of the book, which is so weird. <laughs> I because know. Because Jimmy is, is mentioned throughout the whole book. And Otto is like, oh, this fat guy, this <laughs> fat idiot. Oh, he like works from home. Oh, he loves computers. <laughs> oh, he's fat still. And then later it's like, oh, way back when when um, Otto and Ruben were young and lived on the street together. And then a young woman moved in with her son and she had been abused. And then they like helped her out. And Anita and Rune, almost like Anita and Ruben kind of like adopted this young boy who would grow up to be Jimmy. And you're like, you've known him the whole time. (laughs) Yeah. Like you've known him since he was a young boy and you still call him this like fat fuck. Like, (laughs) I know. Like, I think it's supposed to be, like, some reveal. Yeah. But I'm also, like... I don't like Whoa, that. Whoa, dude. I don't like that. Like, you're such an ass to him. And, like, you've known him since he was, like, a child. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? What's wrong with you? Yeah. Also, I have to say, in the movie, there was this weird scene. Jimmy's, like, he's kind of funny, but he's a little too over the top. But there's a moment where Anita is talking about her son... And Otto is like, uh, your son, he's an idiot, like that incompetent whatever. And then Jimmy shows up to the house, into Anita's house, yeah. and is like, hey, when's dinner? <laughs> and I'm like, is he your son? Is he the son? I'm like, I don't think so. But I'm like, Jimmy's kind of portrayed as being a bit of a, a, a doofus, right, yeah. in the film, which they literally just said. And then he shows up to their house being like, when's dinner? And you're like, why is he going into Anita's house asking about dinner? Yeah, the movie is, like, not as clear and doesn't give us this backstory. But, yeah, like, Jimmy is kind of the adopted son of Anita and Ruben. Yeah, the movie, like, alludes to that and then gives you nothing about, like, the context of what... The- I just thought that was, like, such a weird... <laughs> choice yeah to include that <laughs> i agree so Otto is now held responsible for this cat's like <laughs> care and safety there's a great scene when he takes the cat with him carrying and carrying him in a box to his wife's grave where he visits her <laughs> frequently and the cat is just like trying to press his face up through the cardboard box it's so cute it's so adorable i love too how in the book and the movie you know, Otto does his inspections every morning. Yeah. And he just starts, like, the cat just goes with him. And <laughs> yeah. just this whole image of him just going out on his rounds and the cat going with him. And then later on, he's talking to other characters and he's like, the cat and I have to go on our rounds. And I just, <laughs> it's perfect, Ian. It's like the epitome <laughs> of, like, you see this a lot on TikTok of, like, grumpy father like doesn't like cats and then like cut to him with a cat like resting on their (laughs) chest like that's auto all day very cute uh let's talk about 
one slash two characters. Uh, in the book, it's two characters, a like paper boy that uh, doesn't live on Otto's street, right? Just no. does the paper route that Otto meets and then a friend of his. And in the film, these two characters are kind of combined into one character named Malcolm. Yes. And Malcolm in the movie, uh, I don't think lives in the neighborhood either. It's never explained why he's in the area. I think that's just his paper route. Okay, he's doing the paper route. But, like, also he's way more involved than he should be for that just being a part of his route. Yeah, um, but he knew Otto's wife. Sonia was his uh, high school teacher. And he talks about her, like, being very supportive of him and mentions that he's trans. And... Otto is actually very, like, doesn't care, but is also, like, kind of supportive and asks Malcolm, like, his preferred name. Yeah. Um, Which, you know, is meant to imply that, like, Otto might be an asshole, but he's not uh, homophobic or transphobic, right? Yeah. Um, or, and I, I can see this for Otto, and in the in the book, uh, the character Misrad is gay, and it's, like, a whole backstory with Misrad's character and Otto interacting with him. And, like, I like this for Otto because it's very much, like, I don't care what other people do as long as you're not an idiot type thing. Yeah. You know? I think the book rides the line a little bit better where, like, Otto kind of keeps using, like, terms that are, like, outdated or, like... He calls him bent. Bent? Which I've never heard. I don't (laughs) know if that's... I've heard that, yeah. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And, like, uh, Marisol is, like, hitting him. Like, stop saying... No. But, like, uh... What what's the character's name in the Miss book? Misrad. Misrad is like I I don't care like yeah. whatever and like because and I think that's like I kind of love that because in my opinion deep down the thing that matters is like how you actually treat the other person yes. and like yeah you should use the right terminology if someone like corrects you and wants you to use it but like at a base level as long as you're like yeah I mean I don't care what you do like that's fine you live your life like yeah that's what's most important and especially with old people yeah like that is. A, a victory if they have that opinion. <laughs> like, we'll work on the terminology as we go, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I feel like in the movie, he was just, like, supportive. And I even made a note, like, when Malcolm mentions that he's trans and uh, Otto's like, oh, yeah, that's fine or whatever. I made it. I'm like, does Otto know what being <laughs> trans means? <laughs> I'm like, I... <laughs> Because <laughs> he was just so like nonchalant. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, does he think he's like from another country? <laughs> he probably doesn't know. <laughs> I mean, later I think it establishes that he does, but I don't know. I just kind of think like I don't want him necessarily to be like throwing around slurs, no, or anything. No. But I also kind of feel like he should be a little more. Just not as aware. Maybe, maybe. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's yeah. what kind of what I'm looking. I think for, it I works think. in the book of him maybe using outdated terminology. Yeah, but coming from a place of genuine like acceptance. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. yeah, for sure. Um, we also have Otto teaching Marisol to drive at this time, and he insists on teaching her to drive. Uh, standard and not an automatic <laughs> or not a standard, a manual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so he's trying to teach her how to drive this manual. Of course, it's going horribly because <laughs> why would you ever learn to drive a manual? Why would you learn to drive when you are nine months pregnant? <laughs> That's the thing that I was just like, no. why? Why now? Like... <laughs> They they have this whole scene where she's trying to learn to drive. She's very stressed, obviously. 
Um, they're at a light and she the car is stalling, right? Which often happens when you're trying to learn on uh, a manual. And the car behind them is honking. They're being so obnoxious. Otto gets out of the car and confronts them. And I'm just going to read this part here. This man that he refers to as throat tattoo. Okay, that's this guy's <laughs> name in the book. Throat tattoo allows his eyes to divert quickly towards his equally muscular friend inside the car, and then at the growing line of other cars behind the SUV. No one is making the slightest move to come to his assistance. No one beeps. No one moves. Everyone seems to be thinking the same thing. If a non-throat tattooed man of of Ova's age, without any hesitation, steps up to a throat tattooed man of the age of this throat tattoo and presses him up against a car in this manner, then it's very likely not the throat tattooed man one should be most worried about annoying. (laughs) Ova's eyes are black with anger. After a short moment of reflection, Throat Tattoo seems convinced by the argument that the old man unmistakably means business. The tip of his nose, almost unnoticeably, moves up and down. <laughs> kind of nodding to, to his, like, you got me, right? Yeah. Like, he, he kind of pins him up against the car. And I love that that whole, like, scene... It's just so absurd and so funny and is very much in the tone of this book. It makes me think of something my, my dad used to say, which is... uh. Old men don't bullshit when they fight. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Which I think is so true. Like if an old man comes at you, like there's no going to be, there's no fucking around, right? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I think it, um, I think it comes across a little hammy in the film. It does. Like him being like a tough guy all of a sudden. Well, and and you don't have the very wry kind of ironic funny tone of the book. So you just have Tom Hanks like pushing this young man up against a car (laughs) and you're like, what am I watching here? And then there's this scene where he kind of gives Marisol a pep talk where he's like, you've had these children, you've immigrated from another country, like you're capable of doing this. And again, I think it almost like veers into a little bit of too inspirational. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. In the the film, at least. It was hard to, I saw the film before this part of the book reading it, so it was a little bit hard to, like, distinguish tones between them. But when I saw this in the film, I was like, this comes across as really corny. Yeah. Like, just too, too sincere and too eloquent of a speech from a man like Otto. Like, I think it should have been a little more uh, curt. Yeah. Like, a little, like, genuine. Like, there's a compliment hidden in there. <laughs> yeah. But that's, like, not his point. But, I know. But you get the compliment from it. Like, I think they could have rewritten that to work better in the context of the film. Yeah. We also have Marisol kind of pushing Otto here, mentioning that, like, maybe he should go through some of his wife's things, box them up, and, like, maybe try to process his grief a little more. And he really pushes her away here because you know he doesn't want to move on he wants to die right and so that juxtaposition of him like her wanting him to move on and like be a part of her life and her family's life and her kid's life um but Otto still being in that you know mindset of like wanting to end his life Mm -hmm. and not fully live it I think is very interesting and kind of is part of their relationship here yeah (laughs) so Otto begins to prepare for what I think would be like the most 
like surefire way to end your life if you're really committed to it, which is shooting yourself. Finally, and this is very Swedish. He, the gun is the last result, Ian. Yes, Re- last resort. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's like an old gun too. It's like a family heirloom. It's yeah, like very yeah. old. And uh, I just had the thought watching this in the film because he just had this fight uh, with Marisol, and I'm like, Otto. If you kill yourself right now, that's going to just Yeah, you're going to like ruin her life. She's going to be like, oh my God, like <laughs> I pushed him too far. I shouldn't have said the thing that I said because he he shot himself. Like, yeah, I'm you're, like, you're ruining it. Otto, you cannot do this right now. He's getting ready. He's got the tarps up. Yes. It's very Dexter, right? <laughs> and this is like when, I mean, like, I mean, the train was already his third attempt and yeah. was absurd. This is his fourth, right? It's getting a little too much. Yeah. And I think it works in the book because I think it's less like sincere. But this is like the emotional climax of the film. So it's taking it very seriously. Yeah. But at this point, you're like, it's getting silly. Yeah. Right. And so like he's got the tarps. It's like he's having flashback memories as he's like thinking about his wife and he has the the gun. And then, of course, there's a knock at the door. And I do like the touch of him accidentally shooting the ceiling when, yeah. when someone knocks <laughs> He's at the startled. door. startled, yeah. He answers it, and it's Malcolm, uh, the, the the trans uh, paper boy from earlier. And I also don't think this works in the film, because Malcolm has talked to Otto once yeah. and has been like, hey, your wife taught me in school, and she was, like, really kind to me. And I think Otto also helped him with his bike once. yeah. And Malcolm shows up and is like, hey, my dad kicked me out of the house. Can I crash here? What better place to go to than the widowed husband of my former <laughs> high school, high school English, English, teacher? English teacher? Well, I mean, I think it's equally ridiculous in the book. It is. I think the book, like, that character is dra- is kind of dragged to the house by the friend. Yeah. And they seem very reluctant when they show up or like, oh, this is a bad idea. In the movie, Malcolm is just like, hey, neighbor, like when, <laughs> like, is like, why would this be like bad, right? Yeah. Like just the tone of it. I think the book gets away with it more. But uh, yeah, so Malcolm is like, can I sleep here? And Otto's like, uh. Yeah. Okay. Don't ignore the room that has tarps all up in it. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. Don't worry about it. I do love that he goes on rounds with him yeah. the next morning and Jimmy joins them and it it feels like his little group is growing. Right? He has the cat. <laughs> yeah. He's got Malcolm. He's got Jimmy. It's very cute. Um, we need to talk more about this whole uh, die and America real estate company in the movie. And uh, the real estate man played by Mark, Mike Birbiglia, oh one of God. our favorite comedians. Look, Mike Birbiglia is maybe my favorite comedian. I love his stand-up specials. He's so good. His sense of humor is great. There are a few movies that I can point to someone and be like, that character is totally miscast. This is one of those instances. I know. I'm like, why is he here? It is, first of all, such a waste of Mike Birbiglia, right? Like, he is so funny. He's got such a dorky sense of humor. Yeah. And, like, none of that is present in this character. And even, like, the smarmy kind of, what would you what would you say, disconnected quality of the character he's playing, I don't think is right for Mike Birbiglia. Like, the only time 
maybe Mike Birbiglia seems appropriate is when he's kind of like bumbling at the end, right? When he's confronted by all these people, he's like, oh, you can't do that. Oh, yeah. I have to go. But like, I don't know. It doesn't really work either. Yeah. I just, it, it's so disappointing because I didn't know he was in this movie until the opening credits. And I was like, Mike Birbiglia is in this. <laughs> all right. Like, that's like, great. Oh no. And then I was just like, oh my God, what a waste. Yeah. He's trying to like, steal the house away from this old couple, (laughs) right? And it's like, oh, Anita has secret Parkinson's and, like, she hadn't told anyone. And in the book, it's more like just... And uh, Otto calls them white shirts, right? Just like these government men who come and are just doing their job. They're like paper pushers, right? Yeah, I really love this concept in the book. Just kind of this, they're symbolic of men of authority that you can't really fight or win against. Yeah. Like, there's a flashback portion in the book where, like, his house burns down. And because of a property dispute or, like, where his house lays on the land, the firemen are like, oh, we can't stop that house from burning down until we get a call from, like, such and such. And and so his house just burns down. Yeah. Which is, was also kind of the plan, because they wanted his house gone. Uh, and so, like, this keeps coming up again, right? Like, the men in white shirts. And I just, I find that in- really interesting, especially from Otto's point of view, because Otto is such a capable man. And he's very black and white. Too. Yes. Like right and wrong is very simple for and him. And they're just like the the men in white shirts are kind of this barrier that in his past and in, in the present too he comes up against and you just can't like overcome them. Yeah. And so this man is the current embodiment of that like oppression, right? Yeah. And we find out that like Anita has been struggling with this whole situation for a long time. But she actually didn't tell Otto and her friend, Otto's wife, Sonia, about it because she feel she felt like they had too much on their plate. And so Otto is kind of realizing that he hasn't been paying attention yeah. to the community around him. He, he's been so wrapped up in his own struggles that he hasn't done his duty, right, for the people that even if he has a feud with, he still owes them something. Um, so this kind of, like, re-inspires him to want to help out. Yeah, and he has a conversation with Ruben around this time where I think he is kind of like finally burying the hatchet and deciding that he wants to help them in whatever way he can. Yeah. I just want to read a little portion about Otto and Ruben, or in the book, his name is Rune's relationship, right? And we talked about the whole car thing, right? Yes. And how I, important yeah. it is. And I really love this part of the book because I think it's a really great insight into their characters. So... And there were very likely people who thought one could not interpret men's feelings by the cars they drove. But when they moved onto the street, Uva drove a Saab 96 and Rune a Volvo 244. After the accident, Uva bought a Saab 95 so he'd have space for Sonia's wheelchair. That same year, Rune bought a Volvo 245 to have space for a stroller. Three years later, Sonia got a more modern wheelchair and Uva bought a hatchback, a Saab 900. Rune bought a Volvo 265 because Anita had started talking about having another child. Then Uva bought two more Saab 900s, and after that, his first Saab 9000. Rune bought a Volvo 265 and eventually a Volvo 745 station wagon. But no more children came. One evening, Sonia came home and told Uva that Anita had been to the doctor. 
and a week later, a Volvo 740 stood parked in Rune's garage, the sedan model. Uva saw it when he washed his sob. In the evening, Rune found a half bottle of whiskey outside his door. They never spoke about it. Maybe their sorrow over children that never came should have brought the two men closer. But sorrow is unreliable in that way. When people don't share it, there's a good chance that it will drive them apart instead. Maybe Uva never forgave Rune for having a son who he could not even get along with. Maybe Rune never forgave Uva for not being able to forgive him for it. Maybe neither of them forgave themselves for not being able to give the women they loved more than anything what they wanted more than anything. Rune and Anita's lad grew up and cleared out of home as soon as he got the chance. And Rune went and bought a sporty BMW, one of those cars that only has space for two people and a handbag, because now it was only him and Anita, as he told Sonia, when they met in the parking area. And one can't drive a Volvo all one's life, he said, with an attempt at a half-hearted smile. She could hear that he was trying to swallow his tears. And that was the moment when Uva realized that a part of Rune had given up forever. And for that, maybe neither Uva nor Rune forgave him. So there were certainly people who thought that feelings could not be judged by looking at cars, but they were wrong. I love that part so much. I'm glad I, you know, I wanted to at least mention that later, if nothing else, because it's such a good part. But I'm glad I I wasn't sure if it was short enough to read, but I mean, that's. It, it is, and it's just a beautiful part. Yeah, sorry for butchering that so much, but I, I mean, it's such a a revelation into their characters, right, in the stages of their lives, right, and yeah. how it shows their hopes for the future, their desperation, yeah. and kind of their despair, you know? Well, and it works so well in the book because, like, it's kind of an ongoing gag that... Otto will be like, uh, he drives a Volvo and you just can't reason with a man who drives <laughs> yeah. a Volvo. Like his ideas of like the cars that men drive being an indication of their personalities is like, yeah. it comes across as so absurd, right? But then he has this like beautiful insight and you realize that there's like a thread of truth there that like he, in through his mind, you can map the trajectory of like a man's life by uh, the cars he drives. Yeah. And what it means to him. And it kind of flips everything else on its head that you, you know, you've been laughing at it this whole time. But you're like, ah, fuck. Like, he's actually, he's at least more aware than what you give him credit for. For sure. And I just really love that that section in the book. And I think it really ties a lot together for you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So they have the plan. They're going to save Ruben, right? They're going to make sure he doesn't have to go to the home. It plays out a little bit differently in the book and the movie, but in both versions, uh, Otto enlists the help of the journalist that wants an interview with him in the book. And in the movie, it's the social media journalist, Ian. Also, you can just have a You can just have a journalist. They don't have to be a social media journalist. I don't know why. (laughs) Also, though, Malcolm is filming this confrontation for the social media journalist in this confrontation, which at the time I was like, wouldn't this social media journalist have a way of filming herself or already have someone to do this? Like, why is Malcolm? Malcolm doesn't know this person. No. But I was like, all right, maybe they like slapdash this together or whatever. Like they wanted to involve Malcolm. Okay. There's a scene later where the social media journalist is there and Malcolm is filming her again. And I'm like, what is 
going to does sell. Does he work for does her? Does he now? work for her now? <laughs> There's like a few times where like Malcolm is like involved in a scene in a way that felt like they didn't know how to include them and yeah. just kinda gave them <laughs> like, a like, all right, here you go. Yeah, I don't know. He's filming the social media <laughs> journalist. Okay, I think this is very interesting because in the movie they're like, oh, it turns out your weird real estate company has been keeping like illegal health files on the residents and somehow you've invaded like HIPAA privacy laws. Yeah. And like know their medical history, which like makes sense to me, right? I think that's like legitimate. Even though it's like a little bit weird, I'm yeah. like, okay, I get it. Yeah. I mean, it was alluded to, I mean, they established it because Mike Birbigli was like, hey, be careful of that heart auto. Yeah. You know, so like he knew stuff about auto. Yeah. But in the book, they just confront like the the white shirt, quote unquote, the like government man who's come to take Ruben away. And they're like, um, we've looked at your records and people aren't happy with like how you've taken people against their will and put them into homes. Also, we know about your internet browsing history. And I'm like, what the fuck does that mean? (laughs) (laughs) And also, how did you get that? I know. It's very girl with the dragon tattoo of them. It is. A Swedish reference. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, there you go. Uh, Yeah, I, I was just like, what the fuck is that? What? What's happening? Even in the finale of the film, like... Okay, look, like, real estate companies and, like, the housing market, like, it's shady as fuck. Yeah. It's unethical as fuck. There's all kinds of shit going on with that, right? However, I felt like they over-villainized them. It's not that they over-villainized them, but they made them more cartoonishly villainous in a way of, like, (laughs) they have access to old people's medical records and, like, (laughs) they're going to kill them or, like, send them away and... I mean, maybe there's truth to that. I have no clue. Like, that seems kind of far-fetched. And so it's like, there's valid reasons to critique this system. This system, But I don't know if that's one of them. Yeah. And I feel like it's almost like a disservice to, like, villainize. The actual bad things that they yeah, do. For yeah, for, like, the wrong reasons that are, like, kind of fictitious. Yeah, and in the book, I'm just like... Well, what is in his browsing history? Like, <laughs> I have a lot of questions. Yeah. Like, <laughs> is he on the dark web doing shit? Like, like what are you... Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know either, but anyway, <laughs> they win, whatever. Ruben gets to stay in his home, but then shortly after this, Otto ends up collapsing and has, like, some kind of heart episode. I don't know if it's a heart attack, but yeah. he has this episode... He's rushed to the hospital. Everybody's worried about him. And we have this very sweet scene of Marisol showing up in the hospital room and the doctor telling her, you're listed as next of kin. Yeah. I do love the scene, and this is true for book and movie, where the doctor's informing Marisol about, like, what's actually wrong with Otto. And he's like, oh, he has a condition called blah, blah, blah. And she's like, what does that mean? He's like, uh, his heart's too big. (laughs) And... Marisol just starts laughing. Yeah. Just like uncontrollably, like in a very kind of almost inappropriate way, but is like funny just because of the irony of that. Right. <laughs> and I, I love, I thought that like played off very well in both versions. I agree. I think it's very funny. And then she immediately goes into labor. <laughs> and Otto starts hitting the nurse call <laughs> yeah. button frantically. She has a baby boy. It's very sweet. We see some scenes of Otto with the family and Otto giving the crib that he originally made for his own child that unfortunately died and was never born 
and he gives it to Marisol, and it's very sweet. Yeah, it is. And there's a great scene in the film of him being handed the new baby and kind of being awkward, but like setting him down in the crib, and it's like very sweet. We've seen other moments in the book and the movie of... Marisol's children calling him Grandpa Otto, Abuelo Otto. Abuelo Otto. It's very, very cute. Or like Granddad him, in the book. Him learning like a little bit of Spanish yeah. with them. Yeah. In the in the book, he ends up buying an iPad for the one girl because she really loves like drawing and she wants something to draw on. Um, it's just very sweet. And then we get a little bit of an epilogue here in the book and the movie where we see how the years are passing. Yeah. Um, Otto talks about, in the book specifically, how he still regularly visits his wife's grave and gives her updates on everyone in the neighborhood. This could be, like, honestly, like a whole genre of on its own of... Old, sad, widowed men talking to the graves of their wives. Like, because there's so many movies that do that. And, like, I mean, I get it. Like, it's it's, uh, very sentimental and sweet. And it's a good way of getting exposition across in Mm -hmm. a story. Like, them just speaking out loud. Yeah, we find out that Anders and the blonde weed break up, which is good news. Yeah. And uh, Anders starts dating the journalist, actually. And this is all in the book. And then we find out, also in the book... That Jimmy and the Malcolm character, whose name is uh, Miss Rad, in the book, uh, get together and get married and then adopt a little girl. And then it's kind of like Rune and Anita's granddaughter. And I'm like, oh, my God. Which we had. Because, <laughs> like, if you think about that in the film context, like, Jimmy is, like, way older than the yeah. Malcolm character. And it's like, what? I But, like, in the movie, you have no real context for how old Jimmy is. And, like, it. In the book, you mean? Yeah, yeah. So, I, yeah, in the book, you have no context for how J- old Jimmy is. And, like, the Malcolm character, you kind of thought was, like, a teenager or, like, early 20s. Yeah, and so you're like, oh, he's married and has a kid now? It just catches you so off guard. You're like, wait, they're, like, roughly the same age? <laughs> uh, yeah, so everyone's... Uh, everyone's pairing off. Everyone's getting hitched, right? <laughs> Uh, and I kind of love the absurdity of, like, how the, the microcosm of this neighborhood, yeah, right? yeah. Uh, eventually there comes a day when Ove's, uh, Uva and Otto's walk is not shoveled. Yes, that's the, the, the red flag, the, the sign, right? So Marisol rushes over and they discover that Otto has died. Yeah. Passed in his sleep, which he knew would happen with his heart condition, right? But it seems like it's his time, right? He really fulfilled what he meant to do. He was such an important part of a lot of people's lives, and then we see this this funeral where a lot of people show up, a lot of people that he impacted. Um, and he ends up leaving almost everything to Marisol and her family, although he does give the car to Malcolm. Yes. And uh, we get a final closing moment in uh, the film that is essentially a Chevy ad. The fucking truck, Ian. <laughs> I hate this truck. I hate it's I, so ugly. I hate everything about this. Yeah, the truck is just like awful looking. It's super ugly. Also, I don't buy for a second that Otto ever would have no. bought it. I don't care no. about his brand loyalty. Never. Like, cause he was complaining about the uh, blips and bleeps of the new cars and yeah. whatever. Like, have him just get a classic car. Like, I know, not super old, but something reliable well, and like safe. Like an old pickup truck. Yeah, not this like new Chevy model. I mean, I guess because he gives it to 
Marisol and like the family. Why do they need a truck? They need I don't like an know. SUV or yes, like a minivan. A van. Yeah. But I guess like because Otto buys it first and then hands it down, it had to be believable that he would have gotten it. I don't know. It makes no sense. No. I hate it. <laughs> and like, I just feel like it really just feels like it's going to turn into an ad as you watch that like truck driving away. Like, I, I know. Oh, God. It's so bad. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's... That's the end. That's it for both versions, right? Yep. We've reached the end. Okay. Which one's better? I don't think this will be a shock uh, to you listeners, because we've been <laughs> I know. openly critiquing I know it pretty answer. strongly. Uh, the movie has some redeeming qualities. Like, like Tom Hanks is good in it. Uh, like we said, I actually might have preferred J.K. Simmons. Like, you know, he might... But, you know, Tom Hanks is still solid. There's definitely moments of the movie that work. Yes. I actually think just, like, if the movie didn't have the whole suicide thing recurring, it could have more easily leaned into, like, just the sentimental quality, and it might have just worked more cohesively as a film. Yeah. Uh, But, like, it just felt so uneven with the, the plot, like, the tone in the plot. And I just think the book handled it way better the book just has a really funny tone it's a little tongue-in-cheek right Mm -hmm. it's a little bit like you know nudging you kind of being like oh isn't this funny isn't this like a little bit of a joke right yeah like things are a little bit heightened and it just feels more consistent in tone and i really appreciate that and it's very funny and it's very enjoyable and there are parts that I don't like. The fat shaming is one of them. Yeah, I struggle a little bit with, like, the messaging of it. And it, it's frustrating, and it's, this is true for book and movie, because, like, the whole thing frames Otto as, like, they don't make men like this anymore who yeah. know how to do everything. And you're and, like, like, do we need that? I know, <laughs> and the book the book takes that very seriously at points to, like... To the extent that it's like, I don't know, he goes to a coffee shop and he's like, give me a black coffee. And they're like, we don't don't know how to make black coffee. And he's like, let me get back there. And he starts making the black coffee. And I'm like, what the fuck is even happening right now? Yeah, it leans a little too far, I think. But I think it does what it sets out to do a little bit better than the movie does. Oh, for sure. Yeah, no, I think the book is like more solid throughout and like i think it balances like the heartwarming but kind of that humor especially because you're just through otto's perspective yeah like in the movie otto has to be like monologuing his thoughts for like jokes Mm -hmm. right but like in the book you more naturally just get his perspective on things which is like very funny yeah um yeah i mean I would be interested to watch, like, the Swedish version to see if it hits that more dark comedy balance a little bit better. Yeah. Um, That being said, yeah, the movie just kind of tried to go for a more crowd-pleasing, sentimental feel. Mm -hmm. And it just feels like a huge wasted opportunity because I think the source material is great. Yeah, I don't think it quite works in the film, and it's a little more consistent in the, yeah, in the book. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a book It's for a book for us. both of us. Let's do lightning yeah, round. Yeah, let's do lightning. Okay, first up for lightning round, I just have to mention that Otto and Ruben may have, like, planted drugs on their neighbors to get them kicked out of the house. Oh, yeah. So... There's a house in between them, right? It's their their house, and then there's a house in between. And some someone rented it out, and it was the, these partiers who were throwing these parties day and night and, like, threw a bottle at Otto's wife, right? And it was really crazy. And Otto was, like, going to take all this legal action. And then I just have to read you this part in the book. 
Late one night, he saw Rune walking toward the parking area with his car keys in his hand. When he came back, he had a plastic bag, the contents of which Uva could not determine in his hand. On the following day, the police came and took away the three young men in handcuffs and charged them with possession of a large amount of drugs, which, after an anonymous tip-off, had been found in their shed. Uva and Rune were, Rune were both sitting, standing in the street when it happened. Their eyes met. Uva scratched his chin. Me, I wouldn't even know where to buy narcotics in this town, said Uva thoughtfully. On the street behind the train station, said Rune with his hands in his pockets. At least that's what I've heard, he added with a grin. <laughs> like, I, uh. <laughs> what? Yeah, uh, extreme measures, Rune. I don't know if I can. I don't know if I can fully condone that, that at yeah. all. Yeah. That's pretty. It's awful. Using the force of the state through the police to. <laughs> Falsely, yeah, no, that's that's extreme. Uh, I thought I would give us a quick rundown of the children of Tom Hanks. Oh, my God. Because when we because I, I noticed Truman Hanks listed at the beginning of this movie and I'm like, oh, is that Tom Hanks, son? Like, you know, and then of yeah. course he was. And then I'm like, how many children? Because uh, a lot of us know about Colin Hanks, who's a fairly well-known actor. Right. And then uh, a lot of us also know about Chet Hanks. The just absolute train wreck of a human being who <laughs> has like a music career that's terrible and he just seems like a disgusting human, you know. And then uh, now we're like, oh, there's Chet Hanks, too. And there's also Elizabeth Ann Hanks. So he has four children. OK, I don't know if Elizabeth Ann Hanks acts at all, but the other three do to varying capacities. Uh, so that is how many children Tom Hanks has. No more, no less. It's four. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know. I think Truman Hanks has also done acting before. I think the three boys have all had various careers. Uh, but yeah, I always find that like, I don't know. It's like the Hemsworths, right? I know. You're like, there's more of them they than you expect. They keep sprouting up, right? Or uh, the, <laughs> the Stellan Skarsgård and his yeah. children and like those families that have like ongoing careers. <laughs> I do feel like Tom Hanks has really um, enabled the careers of his own children. Yeah. Like he really seems to do a lot for them. And I'm not going to say it's nepotism <laughs> exactly. It is nepotism. But I yeah. think it's nepotism. <laughs> <laughs> so last for lightning round, I just have to mention in the book that Otto has this whole scheme to like electrocute the dog. Oh my God. When it yes. He's <laughs> on his lawn. Like he gets this piece of like sheet metal and like rigs it up to this electricity. <laughs> so when the dog literally pees that he'll get electrocuted and he's like, he gets the sheet metal. Yeah. He literally sets the whole system up. He's talking to the cat about it. He's like, gonna zap him right in his urethra. And like the cat just like looks at him and he's like, yeah, you're right. And then he just like <laughs> takes it down. He like goes to the whole length of like, yeah. it's almost like I know I could do it. Yes. And that's enough for me. And I think it's a perfect I think it's perfect for his character. Yeah. Because it shows, like, just how far he's willing to go. But it's also like, yeah, you're right. That's too well, far. And, and <laughs> even from the audience perspective, I'm like, this is wacky yeah, as fuck. Yeah, this is too far. And, but then he's like, no, you're right. I'm not going <laughs> to. <laughs> I just love it. We're jumping the shark here. We're not going to. We're not going to follow through. <laughs> that's it for lightning round. And that's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you would like to support the podcast, uh, if you want access to monthly bonus episodes, monthly schedules, access to our Discord, 
uh, and also priority episode recommendations. You can find all of that on our Patreon, patreon.com slash cover to credits pod. Yes, you can also leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast. That really would help us as well. And then you can follow us on social media. All the links to our social media are at cover to credits.com. Yes. I think that was our most concise. I know we did a good and job. Short, <laughs> and I'm gonna extend it now yeah, by now. talking Make about it how good Make we it did. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.